Well, good morning and welcome. It's so, so good to have you. I was um, quite relieved. I thought we were going to get like pounded with rain this week. I have a little project going on at the house and I was just like, please don't like pound us with rainbows. Just enough to get the dry flowers back again. Everybody else do okay this weekend? Yeah, a little bit. All right. You got some projects going on in your home too? Yeah, it's endless, isn't it? It's endless. It's like honeydews, right? You know, Friday is, is my day off, and, and uh, it's a list this long because Patty leaves me a list. And uh, that's, that's my honeydew day, and, and I'm grateful for that, and uh, she reminds me of that every day. Um, so anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you still have a live mic. Be careful. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great day, and uh, last week we, we buttoned up our series on Forgotten Virtues, and... Um, we're starting a new series now over the next eight weeks. I, I'm really excited about it. It's a, it's a series that's going to help us look at the, the life of the prophet Daniel. And in Daniel's life, we're going to see um, how life throws some things at us, things that we don't expect, and, um, and how, how we deal with those things in life says a lot about who we are. And uh, what I love about Daniel's life is, is that we find out that even though life threw everything imaginable at this 15-year-old boy at the time that uh, his ministry began, uh, we find out over 70 years of his life that uh, he truly became uh, a man of great faith. Well, 2,600 years ago, uh, something big happened in the nation of Israel. Um, God was not happy at all with the way that the people were living. In fact, God was ticked off, and God was looking at them, and, and they were chasing after false idols, and they were worshiping other things greater than they were the Lord God. And, and God saw how the nation of Israel was, was, was not treating people with fairness, and, and how they were looking at, at, at aliens and other people and just kind of casting them out. And, and God had a real problem with that. So what we found out was is that um, God sent a leader in 600 BC. His name was King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian uh, king and, and a great enemy of the people of Israel. And, and Nebuchadnezzar comes in in 600 BC and basically ransacks and destroys everything that there is about Jerusalem and, and hauls off many of their, their great artifacts and things <laughs> of their temple and, and, and just takes 25% of the people into captivity and immediately indoctrinates them into the culture of Babylon. Well, at the age of 15, a, a young boy named Daniel, or a teenager named Daniel, sees all this happening, and, and Daniel realizes that he'll never see his nation of Israel again. He'll never see his parents again. In fact, a lot of the friends that he had, he'll, he'll never lay eyes on them again, at least for 70 years while he's in captivity in a foreign land. And we're going to study over the next eight weeks um, how, how Daniel learns to navigate, how Daniel learns to, to stand firm, how Daniel learns to persevere through some of the challenges of what life was throwing at him at that particular time. So let's go and look at Daniel chapter 1 and, and begin our study. It says, in the, in the third year of Judah's king Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia besieged Jerusalem with his armies. I want to stop there for a second. I mean, besieged Jerusalem. I mean, how many of us can, can pull back from that and, and not look at it as that our nation has been invaded? But, but how about our lives? How many of us have been besieged in life by things that we didn't ask for? How many of us have been besieged by events in our life that we never even thought that would, would occur, but all of a sudden they just seem to hammer us from there? How many of us are besieged by, by not having enough money to accomplish some of the goals that we want? How many of us are besieged by not having the time 
or the commitment to be able to fulfill the things that we want to. And we feel like our life is caving in. And this is, this is kind of a, a, on steroids now how the people of Israel were feeling at this moment that Nebuchadnezzar was invading their land. They were besieged by this army. The scripture goes on to say that God gave Nebuchadnezzar the what? The victory. God gave the enemy the victory. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's not a Jew. He's not a, a person running after the Lord God. He's not a Christian. He's really not even a good guy. And God chooses, instead of giving victory to his people, God gives victory to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is the one who now has the victorious stance over the people of God. And what do we learn from that? We, what we learn from that is there are times when in seasons where God will use ungodly people to either test or to um, come after his people as a test of faith. God will sometimes use the enemies of Christianity, non-believers, to come against the believing body. Sometimes God allows that to happen. Sometimes God even allows those individuals to get an upper hand. And we see that here in this story of Daniel's story. It says, when Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, he took with him the best sacred objects from the temple of God in Jerusalem. We can imagine what those were, the, the, the menorahs. We could see that uh, a lot of the ancient artifacts that represented the culture of the temple of what the heart of the people of Israel was. Nebuchadnezzar takes all of that back, and he puts them in his pagan temple of Babylon. And he also ordered that the best young men of Judah be taken as captives to be brought to his palace. Now, why did he want the best young men to be brought to his palace? He, he wants to convert them. He wants to make them his slaves. He wants to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture so that he can turn them into Babylonians. It says, select the best-looking, strongest, and smartest young men. That's why Robert would be the first one to be selected. So. <laughs> and, he says, and he says, bring those persons to my palace. And the teenagers then were, were put through a three-year indoctrination program. And they began to learn Babylonian culture. They began to learn Babylonian literature. It became a, a branch of learning. And they began to learn how, as it says, to be slaves in the palace. And he says, teach these young men in the language and the literature of the Babylonian culture. And then it says this, that they began to give these young Jewish men new names. And they renamed them, not with their Jewish name, but with their Babylonian name. So Daniel and his friends no longer are known by their Hebrew names, but now they're known by their Babylonians. What, why is that? Well, what we know with Old Testament theology is, is that when you knew the name of something or when you named something, you have power over it. When God said to Adam, name all the animals, God was given dominion to Adam over all of creation. And when you name somebody, you had power over them, and we see that this is happening. The, the Babylonians are destroying the culture. They are taking away the identity of Jerusalem. They are moving it away from knowing and understanding who they are, and they are replacing godly values with the values of pagan gods. They're replacing godly values 
with the values of Babylon. And Daniel's life is shaken. He is shaken to his core by the events that are happening in his life. So what we're going to do today is, as we, as we kind of get introduced into the story of Daniel, um, I want us to look at, you know, what is it that shakes us up in our life? I mean, if we can understand the things that, that shake us up, and if we understand and can identify with those, then somehow we can have the, 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 uh, the power, we can have uh, the godly anointing, we can have whatever it takes to overcome those things. So what do you do when your world is shaken? When your world is, is a part of chaos, when your world is shaken, here's what you need to do. You need to always expect that there will be adversity in life. We're not exempt from that, folks. I, you know, someone once told me, well, well, I thought when I became a Christian, when I believed in Jesus, that I'd never have problems in life anymore. Well, we know that's not true. In fact, Peter, the great apostle, says, dear friends, don't be shocked don't be surprised when you suffer through painful tests and trials as if something strange is happening to you. Peter says, expect that the unexpected will come. Expect that adversity will be there. And when something happens in life, our question should not be the most commonly asked question. Do you know what the most commonly asked question when something happens in our life that we don't like is? Why me? You know, the scriptures teach us that the, that the question is not why me, but, the, but it's why not me? Because it's going to happen. Why? Well, Jesus even tells us. Jesus says, in this world, you what? Might? You, you uh, uh, kind of, sort of? No, he says, you will experience difficulties. He says, but take heart. I've conquered the world, and I've told you this, so that in trusting me, you will be unshakable and deeply at peace. So Jesus tells us, Jesus says, you will confront adversity. Adversity will happen, and don't let it throw you. Jesus says that adversity is a part of our life. And I don't know anybody who has yet to have some level of adversity come in their life. We all do. And the question becomes, will we be shocked when we see that. What happens when adversity comes into our life? Sometimes our, our coping mechanism is we want to blame somebody else for what's happened to us. I counsel and pray with a lot of Christians and, and they'll come to me and they'll, they'll say, Pastor, I'm mad at God. Why did God do this to me? Why did God cause my spouse to die? Why did, in other words, I hear, why did God take them from me? God didn't. It's part of the adversity of life. It's, it's part of what it means to be human. And Jesus says when it comes, we should expect that it will happen. So there's a couple of problems that, that come into our lives. Let me step you through a couple of these if you're taking notes. And the first one is that we can be our own problem, can't we? In fact, you know, hey, I can be my own problem, you can be your own problem. Why is that? Because we don't always make the right decisions in life, do we? So it's not that somebody else has done this to us, but it's that we've chosen ourselves. So, so we can be our own biggest problem. The second thing is that the world, the world can be a source of our problems. You see, the world has this, this way of, of helping us to get on this slippery slope. And that slippery slope is, is that we have this need to be approved by other people. You might shake your head and say, I don't need to be approved by anybody but the Lord. But you know what? You do. 
And look at how we negotiate and navigate life every day. We are constantly seeking someone else's approval. And that's what the world does. The world teaches us that, that we need each other's approval and that, that we can't live and that our greatest convictions are set on the fact that you have to okay who I am and I have to okay who you are. And I can't feel good about myself unless you like me. But there's no truth to that. There's no truth to that at all. In fact, what we find out is, is that we don't need the world's approval to be happy. You don't need the world's approval to be happy. You are only as happy today as you choose to be. So if you're walking around with a scowl on your face and, and if you're just like the world, you have to get the world or you don't like this or you like that, it's because you're choosing to live in that component of your life. Choose differently and see how your life will change. Now here's the one I want to spend a little time with, uh, just, just a little bit where we have is, is that, that, God, that God can be the source of our problems. Now before you throw stuff at me, oh pastor, how could you say God's the source of my problems? Let me, let me walk you through what I mean by this. And this is really important. Uh, sometimes God will shake up our life for a reason. Do I hear an amen for that? Okay. So, so many of us in the room, we understand this. And, and probably we understand this by um, some experience or culmination of experiences that we've had in our life. God will use every problem in your life. God will use every problem in my life for the good. God works for the good of those who love him and who are what? Called according to his purpose. So God will take the greatest tragedies of our life. God will take the, the, the greatest screw-ups of our life. God can take the greatest sin of our life. And God can turn that around and work something good out of it. In fact, God has an uncanny ability of taking deadly situations and turning them into resurrections. God can bring life into our lives. You know, we sit there and we struggle, you know, what, what is it that, that, we're, that we're struggling with in our life right now? Did you lose your job? Did you, um, are you, are you in between relationships or are you at that point where you want to get married but you just have never been married and, and you don't think that being married will ever happen? Um, is there something you've been praying that would just change in your life or, or in someone else's life or in your situation and that change hasn't come? Have you been at a place where, where you've had hopes and dreams and those hopes and dreams are so great, but yet you just don't ever see yourself getting there. And, and we see these things coming, but God can use all of those challenges. God can use all of those problems in our life and make something good come out of it. So we're to expect adversity. We're also to discover ways that God uses troubles in our life. So we know troubles come, so how, how might this trouble be being used in my life? But the truth is, is that God wants to not just use the good things, but God also wants to use the bad things. And how we learn from all things says who it is that we have become. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. God speaking, the plans that I have for you are plans that are for good, not to harm you. They are plans to give you hope and give you a future. God has plans. God has this vision. God has this desire. God, the greatest joy in God's life is that we be reconciled unto him. We be reconciled to one another. 
and that we would live a life that is in here. But sometimes God shakes things up in our life because God wants to inspect our life. God wants to inspect us. Say that word, inspect. God wants to inspect us. What do you do when you inspect? You look closely. You look at the details and you see. You know, someone once said that, that people are a lot like tea bags. You don't know what they're made of until you put them in hot water. So, so God wants to inspect us. God will use problems to inspect us, and God will show you what's wrong, what's, what's out of whack. God will say, there's a sin in your life. There is, a, um, there is an unmet level of forgiveness that you just haven't given. There's, there's something going on in your life. God inspects that, and God brings that to our attention, and God says, I want you to see this, and it's the cause of the problem in your life. Do you remember in Genesis, the Garden of Eden? The story of Adam and Eve, and we, and we know that um, after the uh, forbidden fruit has been partaken, that all of a sudden, Adam and Eve do what? They hide from God. And God called, you know, the scripture, the, the anthropomorphic portion of the creation story gives us this language, you know, that God breathed through his nostrils and created man out of dirt, and so this is very anthropomorphic, and, and, and it says that God was just kind of taking a stroll through the Garden of Eden. Now, you know, it's not like God was sitting there you know, walking and, you know, that kind of thing. But it, it's, it's an image to help us to see that God was there. God was present with Adam and Eve. And God says, Adam, where are you? Let me just throw this in. If, if God ever asks you a question like, where are you? He already knows. He already knows. You know, so you might as well just fess up. But why, you know, why did God say, Adam, where are you? Well, God wanted to know if Adam knew where he was, that he was now separated from God. And Adam said, we've done something horribly wrong. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed. We decided we would go hide. And you know what? Ever since then, we've been hiding and running from God ever since because of sin that has entered our life. Jeremiah writes again, the Lord searches our hearts and he examines our deepest motives so that he can give to each person his right reward according to how he has lived. God inspects us so that our integrity can be lifted up. And we talked about integrity as a forgotten virtue. You know, God lifts up our integrity so that that, that can be seen. God is lifting that up. You know, it's not is God is lifting up our image. An image is what others see of us. I can put on an outward image, and you can think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, but integrity is what I really am in my heart. We might pretend to each other that we're nice people and that we love people, but in our heart, we're just so corrupt. And so Jeremiah reminds us that God sees in our hearts. Scripture often compares this process to a refining process. You know, how do you refine gold? How do you refine silver? You, you take the raw product and you apply intense heat to it, inspection. And it burns off the dross and, and, and all of the impurities leave and it produces something that is beautiful. So, so when we're in this um, inspection period, when, when God is inspecting us, there's a, there's a great question that we need to ask and here it is. What does this problem reveal about me? When I'm being inspected by God, what does this problem reveal about me? Here's another one. Sometimes God... Um, uh, sometimes God shakes up our lives to, to correct us. 
So he inspects us, and then he also corrects us. God wants to correct us. And that's what happened 2,500 years ago, 2,600 years ago to the people of Israel. They, they became corrupt. They were worshiping false idols. They were chasing after all the wrong things. And God sends the enemy king, Nebuchadnezzar, in and destroys everything and takes them off into captivity. And I can tell you, if you read the story of Daniel and if you uh, read the books of Josephus, the great um, Hebrew historian, you'll find out that after 70 years, the Israelites never committed idolatry again. They were corrected. God corrected them. God corrects all of his children, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, and if he doesn't correct you, then you, then you really don't belong to him. So, so if we can get away with sin, if, if, if there's no accountability, if we can just get away from sin, then we have to ask ourselves, am I really a child of God if I can just get away with this? Because that's not what God wants. The writer continues, God corrects us for our own good because he wants us to be holy as he is. And it's never fun to be corrected. How many of you love to be corrected by someone else? None of us do. It's never fun to be corrected, the scripture says. In fact, at the time, it's always painful. But we learn to obey by being corrected. Then we will do and live at peace. Job is a great wisdom story. It talks about you know, what it means to live through a life that is under the microscope, a life of inspection and correction. And Job says this, consider yourself fortunate when God all-powerful chooses to correct you. Sounds a little masochistic, doesn't it? Ooh, I'm glad God is, you know, correcting me today. <laughs> Not really. But Job says it's an honor. It proves God's love for you. It, it proves God's love for me. It proves, it proves that we are loved, so to speak. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, he said, God whispers, to us in our, uh, in our, um, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. God gets our attention. And the only time we change is when the fear of change is exceeded by some level of pain. My first management position in the secular world, my boss used to tell me, Bob, as a manager, as a supervisor, as an overseer of people, you need to just ask yourself one question. What's my pain threshold? When you're managing people, what's my pain threshold? And once you identify what that is, you know how to manage people because once it exceeds your pain threshold, then you know you need to do something about it. God says the same with us. So here's the question when, when we're being looked at this way. What's the problem teaching me? What am I learning from this? What is God teaching me through this situation? God also shakes up things in our lives to direct us. So he, he inspects, he directs as well. So God directs us in our lives. God wants to point us in a new direction. Uh, the writer of Proverbs says, a person may plan his own journey, but the Lord directs steps. How does God direct steps? Believe it or not, it's with problems. When problems are there, we begin to see our steps directed. Think about your life, how you're kind of cruising along, and a problem comes. And when that problem comes in your life, you have to make a decision, don't you? You have to act. You have to do something, or else things are not going to change and you'll be destroyed from that. It says, again, in the Proverbs, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. 
You see, we rarely think about, you know, changing our direction in life when things are going good. In fact, some of us, when things are going good, it's not about God anymore. It's just kind of like we're living in the moment. You know, carpe diem, seize the day. It's all about us. Woo, we're here. But when all of a sudden the heat gets turned up and things begin to change a little bit, we find ourselves drifting, drifting back to God. But before that, we're kind of like, an example would be we're on autopilot or cruise control. Love that feature in the car, cruise control. Until I get on 275 and malfunction junction. And we're just kind of cruising along, but you know what? Until an accident happens or someone hits the brakes before you, you're not going to change what you're doing. And those things happen in our life. One of the values of pressures and problems is it forces you to think about the things that we don't want to think about. Those things that are happening in our life, but we just kind of like, you know, put them away. I don't want to address that. I know this is a problem. I know this is going on, but, but I just, I don't want to deal with that. It's like we live in denial. We live in denial over certain things. We would just hope that that thing would change without us having to deal with it. Maybe it'll just go away and, and that's it. And that's what David thought, the great king. We talked about David in the last series. In fact, as David writes this Psalm 119, he says, I have thought about my life, and as I read that, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, David, when something happened and it wasn't good anymore, you thought about your life. He said, I thought about my life, and I've, I've directed my feet back to God's written instructions. So let me ask you this morning, what, what's the problem that is, that is unresolved in your life? What's the elephant in your room? What's the, what's the thing that you've just been denying? What's the one thing you've just decided to avoid? You just would rather walk around it and never address it, never deal with it. You just, if, as long as I can stay away from it, I don't need to. What is it that you're denying? God will use those issues, God will use those challenges to direct your life. So here's, here's the question that we ask when God is directing our life. Where is this problem leading me? So where is it leading me? Here's the next one. God shakes things up to protect us. God shakes things up to protect us. Sometimes we'll go through problems in our life and a problem will, or we'll go through life and a problem happens and it kind of just throws us off. Um, how many of us have ever wanted a job, but the job we wanted we didn't get, but we got a different job and we didn't really like it? How many of us have been in relationships with people we thought were the person only to find out they were not the person? How many of us have, have been in situations in our own faith journey when we've, when we've looked at some of these things uh, how many of us have had relationships with other people, friends, and we thought, wow, that is the problem? Well, God will shake things up to protect us. Sometimes God will move us out of those relationships. Sometimes God will change our perception on things so that we see God will bring someone into our life to protect us from what's happening. Years ago, before I went into ministry, I'm a second career pastor, so um, I was um, a corporate guy before I came into the ministry, and I, and I was working for a company and um, uh, really enjoyed where I was at, and, and one day my boss uh, came to me and he asked me to do, or he didn't ask, he basically told me to do something that was illegal, and I, I couldn't do that. I mean, I just, I just looked at him and said, I can't, I can't do that. Um, and then he proceeded to remind me, well, you know, you all have a new baby at home, and 
I know you need this job and, and this, that, and the other, and kind of was putting the screws on that. And, and so I went home, and Patty and I had a long conversation. I said, I, just, I can't compromise this. This is illegal. And so I was at a point in my life where the problem came in that I was losing my job because of a decision I was not willing to make, which was to do what he asked me to do. And so I left, and there was a lot of uncertainty with that. And about six months later, I get a phone call from a U.S. attorney who's investigating my old boss and says, we understand that he's committed some fraudulent activities, and we'd like to talk to you because, you know, there's probably some jail time involved here. See, God protected me and gave me what was needed to get out of that situation so that I wouldn't compromise. So God protects us from our problems. So when that happens, the question could be, how could this problem be protecting me? And here's the last one. In all things, trust God in what you don't understand. That comes out of the Proverbs again. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Honor the Lord in everything that you do, and God will give you success. My role as your pastor, my role as your, as, your, um, as your spiritual leader, my role as a person who loves you and who pours his life into you all the time, my role is to lead you into the scriptures. My role is to help you to get closer to God. My role is to bring you into that place where, where you can see how living through a life that the choices that we make will affect the life that we live. When Pastor Pam and I engage in ministry with you, we do this together. And that's, we're trying to help you to see the life that God wants you to have, the life that God wants you to lead. So here's what I want to ask. For the next seven weeks, I want you to be in worship. I want us to journey into the life of Daniel. And I want us to see how God used the challenges and the problems of Daniel's life, and how Daniel's life emulated the person that God called him to be. But I think that this series is so important. I think you need to bring some friends with you, not just so that we can feel good that the seats are filled. This is important stuff. Those of you that are live streaming, I want to encourage you to, to, to clue in every week, especially over these next seven weeks, and bring people to where you are. You know, open up your house and, and bring some hospitality and let people come reside with you as we walk this journey together. Unshakable faith, unshakable life, and unshakable you.